Well, it's good to see everybody. Wonderful to be here, and uh, I just love Sammy Fisher. I tell you what, he's uh, one of my very best friends in life, and uh, I just think you're very, really, really blessed to have Sammy as your, as your lead pastor and his wonderful wife, Yvette, and we just love hanging out with them. So let's give your pastor a hand. Let you... I'm always impressed how much uh, Sammy loves you guys. He's always talking about uh, you by name, and uh, every time we come and spend some time with, uh, with Sam and Yvette, he just, uh, he just is always talking about you. Another thing about Sammy is he's always learning. When I come, he's always telling me about books he's reading, and he's continuing to grow, and great leaders continue to grow, and, and uh, I'm just always inspired, and I always learn things when I'm around Sammy. So just really appreciate him. Chris and Lisa, just appreciate them and their leadership in, our church, in this church here. I say our church because if I can't, I lived in Tyler, this would be my church, and uh, so I just love Chris and Lisa, and, and they're wonderful uh, ministering in your church as well, and, and all the volunteers. How many volunteers? 65 volunteers last week? That's amazing. That's incredible. So so uh, this is my wife, Karen. I'm going to have Karen stand up. We've been married. We'll be 40 years this, 40 years this August. And uh, Karen and I just do life together. We got, uh, do you want to see pictures of my grandkids? I got like a whole, like a hundred of those. We got a bunch of grandkids. We got four actually, three that are on the earth and, and one that's soon to be on the earth. So we're just loving our grandkids and all that. And uh, Karen always prays for me every Sunday before I preach. So if this message isn't any good today, then it's Karen's prayer. It wasn't very good this morning. So that's what happened. Well, listen, I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about, uh, you're in a series, and Sam was telling me about the series you're in. You are talking about uh, stories. Uh, and Sammy called me a couple months ago and said, I, I want you to preach on uh, uh, your favorite story in the Bible. What's your favorite story in the Bible? Oh, my gosh. That was a big assignment. And, and I wasn't really able to pull that off because I just love all the Bible. There's so many wonderful stories in the Bible, and I just didn't know where to start. But one of the things I do know about the stories in the Bible, my favorite stories in the Bible are the stories where people mess up. Those are my favorite stories. You know, I don't know if you ever watch America's Funniest Videos. Anyone ever watch that? You know, it's just so wonderfully entertaining to watch people at their worst moments, isn't it? You know, they're slipping and they're falling, and, and, and we're just so masochistic that we like that. But we just like, really like to watch people mess up. And when it comes to the Bible, this is the reason I love the Bible, and this is the reason I'm a Christian, is because in the Bible, we get the real deal. We see people not at their best moments, but we see people at their worst moments. You see Noah after he had you know, been in, uh, on the ark for over a year with all those animals getting drunk. I mean, just really getting just, just, just snookered after being in that boat for a year or so. How many know, maybe after a year with all those animals and your wife and a boat, maybe, maybe you, you should get a pass on that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you, get, you see him getting drunk and he's like, you know, just wasted and, you know, it's just ugly. And, and I read that and I say, these are my people. I get this, you know. <laughs> And then you see Peter, you know, one of the main apostles, you know, losing his temper and cutting the guy's ear off and then cussing and saying things he shouldn't say and then having to repent and feeling overcome with grief and all that. When I read the Bible, those are the things that really stand out to me. It's not a book of, of where things are perfect, but it's a book where real things happen and where people are people. 
And I'm comfortable with that because, because that's the kind of people that I am. I'm, I'm a person that's not perfect yet. I don't know about you and I don't know about the person sitting next to you, but how many know you're not quite, you're not quite there yet? Just raise your hand. I mean, you were singing and Spirit of God was moving this morning and Hannah and, and was leading us in worship and my gosh, what an ama- amazing worship. Worship gets better every time I come here. It was incredible. But, uh, you know, we're worshiping the Lord and we're singing about Jesus and loving Jesus. But, you know, I know... I know, you know, you still have fights with your spouse. How many, how many, since you've been a Christian, had a fight with your spouse and you're a Christian couple? How many, you've had a fight? You, you know, I mean, you know, wow, I'm telling you. We had a fight on the honeymoon. I'm telling you, it just happens. <laughs> but this is what the Bible is about. It's about imperfect people that have been captured by the grace of God. Imperfect people that have been captured by the grace of God. So one of my favorite stories uh, is the story where Moses got the Ten Commandments. He's up on Mount Sinai. Been up there 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord. The Lord has been speaking to him. And God himself, this is what the scriptures say in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God himself took his finger and he wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger. And Moses was carrying an autographed copy of the Ten Commandments by God Almighty in his arms. That's a pretty big deal. And you know what happens when he gets down. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he has these, these stone tablets and he throws them because he's frustrated with the people that are partying and got tattoos all over them and, and earrings and they're drinking coarse beer and they're just partying and they've lost their minds. And he gets so upset and he throws the Ten Commandments and shatters them. Now, for one thing, I would just say this. If you have an autographed copy of anything from God, I would hold on to that. Because that's a big deal. When you've got something God himself has signed, (laughs) I mean, you don't want to mess around with that because that's incredibly, infinitely valuable. I've got, I love tennis, and I have in my office at home, I have a big picture of Andy Murray, who is a great tennis player from Great Britain, and I love tennis, and I love Andy Murray. He's my favorite player. And Andy Murray, why I liked Andy Murray was because he almost won over and over again. He'd get in these finals, and he'd lose, and he was losing, and he'd lose. And finally, he won the Wimbledon. And it was a big deal, and he went out there, and the people of Great Britain were amazed that he won this, and everybody was so excited. And so I was so excited, I almost wanted to skip church to watch the final, but I taped it, and I still preached and came back and watched the thing. It was amazing. And so my sons, for my birthday, got me an autographed copy, an autographed tennis ball of Andy Murray that he hit during the Wimbledon when he won the Wimbledon final. And it's a little glass case there, and on the wall... I had this gigantic picture of Andy Murray hitting this tennis ball, and you see his muscles rippling, and you can see the tennis ball, and, 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 and I have this tennis ball that Andy Murray hit in the Wimbledon final that has his signature on it in a glass case, and I tell people, this ball is that ball in the picture. <laughs> now, I don't know that that's the case, but I tell people that. <laughs> I don't take that ball out. And play with it because it's so valuable. If you've got 
something that God has written with his finger. You want to hold on to that. You don't want to, you don't want to, you want to just carry that really careful. You don't want to get crazy with that. You want to put it in a glass case and you want to hold on real good. But Moses, when he sees the people, he throws the whole thing and busts the whole thing that has God's autographed copy on the Ten Commandments. That's a big deal. And why is that in the Bible? Why did God show us the meekest man, the Bible says that of Moses, that he was the meekest man in all the earth? Well, Moses wrote that. That was in Deuteronomy. He just, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe the editor put that in, I hope, because it's really hard to be the humblest man when you say you're the humblest man, but it's in his writings in the Pentateuch. The humblest man who talked with God face to face. That man lost his temper and threw the Ten Commandments. Let me just say this, and you may not like this, but I just want to tell you because it's life, it doesn't matter how close you get to God, you're going to have moments when you don't do so well. Can you say a big amen? Amen. Now, I've been with your pastor a whole lot, and I can just tell you he's not perfect all the time. (laughs) Your pastor's not perfect most of the time. (laughs) But here is Moses. Moses throws the Ten Commandments. I could get it if it was somebody else, but Moses? It doesn't matter how close you are to God. doesn't matter how long you walk with the Lord. There's going to be moments when you see your flesh act up and you're going to do things that you're going to have to take to the cross and ask the Lord to forgive you. And I'm so grateful that the word of the Lord says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, the word confess is homo logeo, which means to agree with God. I never disagree with God. I never say, God, I didn't do that. God, I, I have this excuse. I always, when you confess, you agree with God and say, God, I, sh- I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have lost my temper. I shouldn't have said that. I agree with you. I confess my sin. The Bible says if we agree with God, He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us, and everybody say, of all unrighteousness. How many are grateful that the Lord God Almighty forgives you of all unrighteousness? Can you say a big amen? But Moses threw the Ten Commandments, and he shattered them. Moses. Moses. Moses, a man that walked with God and talked to him face to face. And he had been on the mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights communing with God and he still slipped and he still made a mistake. I remember one time when I had not been a pastor real long, I had had done something. I mean, I made a big, big leadership mistake and and it was just not good, and I said something I shouldn't have said, and I was in this mess, and it was just a terrible thing. I was beating myself up so bad. And it was so bad that I couldn't pray. I couldn't read the Bible. I mean, it was just like I was just stunned. And day after day after day, I beat myself up and kept replaying that thing that I said and the thing that I did and that stupid leadership mistake I made. And so one morning, I got up, and I'm praying trying to pray. I mean, I'm just sitting there in a cloud of guilt, cloud of condemnation. And I decided to do something I tell people never to do. 
I told them, I, I tell people never ever just open the Bible and put your finger in there and see where it lands. That's a bad thing. That's like a, a spiritual fortune cookie. Do not do that. Read the Bible from cover to cover. Read it verse by verse. Read it book by book. Don't do that kind of crazy stuff. And just, but I was so bad off, I did it. I opened up the book, flopped it open, and put my hand down, my finger down, and I looked down, I landed in the book of Job, which I thought was significant. That's what I felt. I felt I was Job. And I landed on Job 32, verse 9. And it said... Great men are not always wise. Great men are not always wise. Woo, man, I was set free then. Just say this with me. I am not always on the top of my game, but God loves me. Anyhow, that's the word of the Lord. So I got going on that. So why do we have this incredible story in the book of Exodus 32 where no, Moses has the handwritten Ten Commandments from God and he throws them and he shatters them? Why is that in Scripture? It's in Scripture to show us that we all have broken God's commandments. We all have broken God's commandments. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? I don't know if you remember the Ten Commandments, but let me just, let me just, let's do a little something here in this little time we have together today. Let's do this little thing. Uh, maybe it's been a while since you went through the Ten Commandments that are sort of written by the hand of God. I want you to do a test. I want you to do sort of private tests. This is a pop quiz. There's only 10 questions on this exam, and we're going to go through the Ten Commandments, and I want you to look at yourself to see if you're keeping and have kept the Ten Commandments. Let's just see how you're doing and see how you measure up. Because I did this. When I read the Ten Commandments recently, I was going through that, and I wanted to see how I did. Am I doing okay on these commandments? So I, I kind of I went through these. We're going to put them on the screen here. Here's a, some of the uh, Ten Well, here's all of them. We're going to cover them all. Ten Commandments. The first one is, do not have any other gods before God. So I want you to, first of all, I want you to say to yourself, okay, this is your little test just between you and God, and you're kind of keeping mental note here. Here, have you ever broken the first commandment? Here's what the first commandment is. Do not have any other God before God. Is God always, consistently, the primary and centerpiece of your life? Is he always the centerpiece and the primary thing of your life? You know how you know what's really important to you in life? You know how you know what's really important to you in life? You know what's important to you in life, what's most important to you in life, when you lose something or you don't have access to something. How many here have ever lost your smartphone and you freaked out? Just, just raise your hand. How many know that life just about ends when you lose your smartphone? How can you go on? I was sitting on the front row here this morning. We were worshiping Jesus. I was having a great time. I reached in my pocket, couldn't feel my smartphone. Woo, I was like gone. I mean, I had to find that smartphone. Where's that smartphone? And when it says, thou shall have no other gods before me, do not have any other gods before God, an important thing to note is that in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, there is a commentary on the Ten Commandments. Every commandment that's in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, Exodus 20 and then Deuteronomy, 
those 10 commandments, Jesus gave a commentary on those commandments in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7. And here's what Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. So let me just ask a question. Don't raise your hand, but how many at some junctures of your life, the Lord has not been the first thing in your life. Other things have become first in your life. Has that happened to you? Has it happened? Just raise your hand if you know somebody that's happened to. (laughs) I had surgery on my knee uh, in uh, January, January 19th. And uh, I'm an avid tennis player, love to play tennis. I play tennis uh, three or four times a week. And so when I had knee surgery, I couldn't play tennis for three months, and so when I go back, this, this trip was kind of the last section of my period of recovery. When I go back, I'm going to start playing tennis again on May 1st. And you know what really, really uh, I became aware of during this time where I couldn't play tennis? I became aware of how important, and this sounds silly, but how important tennis is to me. That, that I, it even at times, maybe rival my devotion to God. It can sometimes be your house, your money, your car, your, your education, all kinds of things compete for our life. So say this way, do not have any other gods before God. So that's the first question. So make sure you keep, either put yourself a check on that one or put an X on it. The next one, do not make yourself an idol. Now, when I read that, I thought, feeling good, feeling good about this because I don't know that I've made any idols. I'm feeling good about that. How many have not made an idol out of stone or out of wood? You've not made a figurine of an idol anywhere. How many know? You have, how many haven't done that? Are you feeling good about this? I, I, I read that. I thought, okay, I got one. You know, I missed the first one, but I'm doing pretty good on this one. Until I did a little research about what an idol is. You know, they've uncovered some of the idols in the Old Testament. For instance, they discovered uh, Baal, which was one of the main Phoenician gods in the area where the Israelites lived. And they found little figurines of of Baal. And Baal was uh, this fertility or, or god of rain. And... Baal is pictured as a, as a little old man with a beard holding a, a bolt of lightning. And so whenever people would get worried about not having enough rain for their crops, when they were under pressure and stress and their crops weren't growing and they were worried about that, they would turn to Baal and they would appeal to Baal when they were under incredible pressure and stress. And all of a sudden, I began to cut, connect the dots. You know what an idol is? Here's what an idol is. An idol is what you turn to and what I turn to in times of stress and pressure. And now, I loved what the gal did this morning when she came up and she read uh, Psalm 121. Uh, I lift my eyes up to where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. I had a woman come in to talk to me one day and she came in and she was under a lot of stress and she had a lot of grief in her life. She'd lost a child and she was under a lot of professional stress and she would sit out and listen to me preach with her husband. But she said, Pastor Danny, I come home every night and I drink 
a full bottle of wine every single night. And she says, it's the only way I can seem to get through anything. And you know what an idol is? An idol is what you or I turn to in times of stress. That's an idol. Just like in the ancient world when they were under stress, didn't have any rain, they would turn to Baal. And Baal was what they turned to when they were under stress. Now, I've got this thing I turn to. Maybe you can relate to this. When I'm under stress, and usually my stress sort of peaks on Friday or Saturday and get ready for the weekend and, and all that, and I've got to preach to the same people I've been preaching to for over 30 years and got to get up there and all these people, and I've got to communicate, and sometimes I get under a little stress. And when I get under a lot of stress, I eat too much. Can I get a big... Oh, me right now. So I made a little vow a while back. I said, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat sugar for 40 days. I'm going to lose some weight before it gets warm, and I'm going to be back on the tennis courts. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat sugar. Wrote it on a card. Not going to eat sugar for 40 days. I made it one day. Because, you know, it, I started the thing on Friday and Saturday was the next day and I had to preach and I had, had a hard week and, and I remember we had bought those Girl Scout cookies. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Girl Scouts, you know, the Simona cookies, you know? Oh, isn't that a little piece of manna right there? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and I remembered those cookies and I thought, oh man, I was under stress and whoo, I was under the stress and, and then I thought, you know how the devil works on your mind? You need to support the Girl Scouts. It's what I heard in my head. <laughs> so I went and ate those cookies. Can food become an idol? Absolutely. Can wine become an, an idol? Absolutely. Can, you know, vegging out, you know, binge watching Netflix be an idol? Well, you know, we all do that. That's fun. I like that. But if it is my way of coping with my stress in life, it's become my idol. Of course, more, more serious things like porn and like uh, drug addiction. Hey, let me, this, I don't want to get heavy, but let me just, here's a little stat I just heard. I just, we have a, a state representative in our church and I just went to uh, a thing that she held on uh, the drug, uh, drug epidemic in America. Did you realize that the Vietnam War lasted from 19... 55 basically to 1975, 20 years the Vietnam War and its different stages lasted. And in the Vietnam War, 58,000 uh, men and women were killed in that war. Last year, 53,000 people in America died of overdoses, overdose of drugs. And it's a sad thing. It's a complicated thing for people, of course, when they get their brains get addicted to that and all that. But how does that begin? It begins with, I'm under stress. I'm not coping well, and I'm going to turn to something to help me get through. I want you to say, I'm going to lift my eyes to the Lord from where my help comes from. So I thought I, thought I, I was going to do okay on that because I hadn't chiseled out an idol. But I have to put an X by that one. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Wow. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. 
How many know somebody that since they have followed Jesus may have said a word they shouldn't have said that's sort of encoded in their thinking? We're just like inundated with that. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. So here's what this is. And I don't, you know, it's just, you know, culturally, since World War II, when the soldiers came back from World War II, profanity became a big thing in America. The soldiers, you know, fighting the war and on those ships. And the culture, the verbal culture in America changed after World War II. And so this whole profane thing began to happen. And I was thinking about it one day, and I was teaching about this. And I said that uh, here's what taking the Lord's name in vain is. And we all need some good Christian cuss words that you can say from time to time when you need them. Good, good sanctify ones. Say something about a Hittite or something. You need to say something. <laughs> but I was preaching and teaching on this one time, and, here, and I said, the, the name of the Lord is sacred. It's sacred. The Jewish people wouldn't even, you know, spell Yahweh's name all the way out. They were so revering of that name. Here's what taking the Lord's name in vain is. And, uh, and I think, I think because of stuff we hear and all that, I think maybe all of us, maybe all of us have been guilty of that in some way. But here's what it is. There's this woman. She works at the cafeteria. And she's a worker in the cafeteria at the, at the school. And she's carrying a pan of grease that she's been cooking chicken in and all that. And she's walking across, you know, one of those, you know, those tile floors that they have in the uh, in the cafeterias of high schools, and she's walking across. She's got this big pan of grease. She's walking across, and she trips, and she spills that nasty black grease with little lumps in it all over the tile floor. And she looks around, and she tries to figure out how is she going to dry this up and how she's going to take care of this and it's too far to go back to the kitchen to get some rags and get the mop and she looks in the corner of the cafeteria and there is the American flag she goes and she gets the American flag she takes it off that little wooden pole there and she kneels down and she takes the American flag and she wipes up that grease how many would be offended by that just raise your hand if you'd be offended by why would we be offended by that? Because we, Here's why. Because the flag is sacred. We honor the flag. How many are grateful for America and the American flag? Just say a big amen. amen. And I told that story. I said, you know, when we take the name of the Lord in vain, it is even worse than taking the American flag and getting down on your knees and wiping up the grease of the Lord. And I had this little gal in our church. She's feisty little thing. She's been in my church for 20-some years. She's a nurse. She oversees the head of her hospital wing or whatever. And she hears nurses cuss and say bad things and take the Lord's name in vain. And she marches over them and she tells them that story about that flag. <laughs> what did Isaiah said? Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I just want you to take a moment right now. And I haven't done this in a service before in a long time. I want you to take your right hand and put it on your hand, on your mouth. And I want you to say, Lord, sanctify my mouth. Let me praise your name, honor your name, not take your name in vain. Okay, so there we are. Do not take the name the Lord's name in vain. 
Oh, for three for me, anyhow. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, that's, I like that one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is, uh, the word Sabbath means cessation. It means to stop. So the Sabbath is basically that you work real hard and you do your job and you do everything you can. But when there's still stuff to do, and you've done everything you can do, you sit down and you take a day where you cease. And even though you think, I could do more, you're trusting God to do what you cannot do. A businessman that owns his own business, that comes to this church, or comes to another church in Tyler, and works seven days a week because he's got to keep getting things done, is a practicing atheist. Because when we are afraid to stop and not work because we think we've got to do it all, we are living like atheists. And how many know that God is able to do what you cannot do? And we, when we take a Sabbath and we rest and we don't work anymore and we just say, okay, we've done our best. We worked hard this week. How many are grateful for working hard? You need to work hard. You need to go to school, get an education, work hard, work hard. But you need to learn the principle. We all need to learn the principle where we stop and trust God. Every Friday, I, I mean, regardless of how far I'm along on my sermon, every Friday, Karen and I take off. I don't do anything. I don't, read, I don't read a commentary. I don't write anything for a sermon. I don't do any counseling. I don't take any phone calls. We just, we just you know, we just, we just relax, and we just go out to lunch, and we go, and I don't, know, it just, I don't know if you do this. This is kind of a weird thing that we do. You know, after we have lunch, sometimes we'll go down to the beach, and we'll open the sunroof, and, and we'll put our... We'll put our, our seats back and we'll just take a nap. You know, we're parking. We're parking. We used to park for different reasons, but now we're taking a nap. <laughs> we're just taking a nap. And I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to rest. It is not just up to you. So the word Sabbath means cessation. Just say this with me. I don't have to do it all. The Lord is going to take care of me. I do my best, but at the end of the day, he's going to take care of me. So if you run into business, you never take time off, you're a practicing atheist. And I always get emails on that. People always say, oh, that's a little harsh. And you think, I don't think it's harsh. I think it's, I think it's accurate. Because when I stop, it means I'm trusting him. And so the next thing is honor thy father and mother. Um, you know, I was a rebel and I was raised in the seventies and, uh, I, boy, I was, you know, I love Jesus, but I was, my parents, I just drove them crazy and I wasn't, I wasn't good at that. And I didn't honor my mom and dad. And now I honor my mom and dad and I love them and I revere them. And, and I see, see things from such a different perspective than I did when I was an adolescent. You know, I love what Mark Twain said about his dad. When I was 14, my dad Hardly knew anything. I could hardly stand to be around the man. But when I was 21, I can't believe how much that man learned in seven years. <laughs> so now I look at my mom and dad and I revere them. Honor thy father and mother. Do not murder. murder. Of course, Jesus gave a commentary on this. And he said in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said to murder is not limited to physical murder. 
He said, if you've hated anybody in your heart and you've called them raka, which means empty-headed, if you ever called anybody an airhead, empty-headed, or fool, which is the word morose, where we get the word moron from, if you've ever hated anybody or despised anybody, that spirit that's behind that commandment has been violated. Have you ever been on the loop driving around here? I was on the loop yesterday riding with Sammy. People driving around and people wouldn't let us in and they're pulling in front. And, and you know, have you ever as a Christian just kind of like... How many have ever had a, a flicker, a flicker of road rage? Just a flicker. I think you're going to have to put an X on that one. That's what I think. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Now, I want to just pause and say here, if you have ever committed adultery, I am so grateful that there is no sin, there is no moral failure that Jesus cannot forgive and cleanse us of. Are you grateful for the strength of the grace of God? Are you grateful for that? You remember the story in John chapter 8, it's in some manuscripts, not in all manuscripts, about the woman they brought to Jesus that had been caught in the act of adultery, had been caught in the act of adultery. I'm not even sure how that happens. I don't know how many peeping Pharisees it takes to catch a person in adultery. But they caught her in the act of adultery. This whole story is weird. They caught her in the act of adultery. Are they shimmied up a tree with binoculars? How did they catch this woman in the act of adultery? Another thing that's weird is that, in my understanding, it always takes two people to commit adultery. And I don't know where the other guy was, but he wasn't there. And they're like fists are clenched and their teeth are set on edge. And they said the wall says she should be stoned. I love this. Jesus knelt down and he began to scribble in the sand. As he's scribbling in the sand, people say, what's he doing while he's scribbling in the sand? People say, well, he's writing their sins and all that. I don't believe that. I believe he's just... He's just buying time. He doesn't know what to say yet. He's waiting for his father to tell him what to say. And his father says, say this. And he says, he stands up and he says, He who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now here's something powerful in that story. There's somebody there that could throw a stone that was without sin, and it was Jesus. How many know that we don't have a stone throw in Jesus? Can you say a big amen? I'm glad he's not throwing stones at me. I'd be in big trouble. But then he brings the story into balance. He says, where are your accusers? And she said, they've all gone. And, and uh, he says to her, go and leave your life of sin. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Say it with me. Neither do I, neither do I. condemn thee. One more time, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He brings the balance of that. So do not commit adultery. If you commit adultery, the Lord's grace is there. But you say, well, I can put a check by that because I haven't physically committed adultery. Remember Jesus, he gave a little commentary on this. He said, if you've looked at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed 
an act of sin? How many knew that was in the Bible? Did you know that was in the Bible? I know, I know, you, know I knew you knew it, and I knew it, and we, it's there. You know, I remember when I was in Bible college, and we had a group of friends. We were uh, out on a Saturday. We had been out playing tennis, and I lived in Pensacola, Florida at that time, and where I went to Bible college, and we're riding down a main road by the beach, coming back from playing tennis on a Saturday morning, and we're at the stoplight. And there's a... Uh, there's a, 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 an attractive woman that walks by in a skimpy bikini walking a dog. And we are, we're, we're Bible college students. We're studying theology. So we're there, and we're all like six of us in the car. And she's right walking right in front of us. So we're like, man, I'm telling you, it was like really, it was really weird. And finally, it was so tense. I finally said, that is some dog, isn't it? That is some dog. <laughs> I just think, now, I don't know how, I think, I know you guys are more spiritual in Texas than we are in Delaware. I know that. But I'm sure there are some people here, even though you haven't physically committed adultery, you've had an unclean thought sometime this morning. Anyhow. So, I don't know, we may have to think about that one, too. Maybe an X, maybe a check, do not steal, you know, that I felt good about that one until the Lord reminded me and... He said, you know, I said, do you remember in ninth grade when you were taking a biology test in Mr. Stewart's class and, and you looked over at Kevin Hochstetler's paper and you took, a, you took one of his answers as your own? Which is really stupid because Kevin was dumber than I was, but anyhow. <laughs> and I felt, I felt so bad. I was, I was a Christian kid, you know, led Sammy to the Lord. I, you know, I was like, all right, let's say to Jesus. And there I was cheating in class. And I, oh, my heart was beating. And I had to go to Mr. Stewart after, you know, after class. I said, Mr. Stewart, I'm sorry. So I, I looked over and got an answer off Kevin's paper. And he said, why would you do that? He's stupider than you are. Anyhow, <laughs> he didn't say that. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Have you ever left an impression about somebody? that made them look negative, that wasn't the whole story. Do not covet. Have you ever wanted anything that somebody else had? You know, I was real impressed with your pastor this morning. We were riding here. He was taking me to Starbucks before, uh, before church here. Well, I can't preach without Starbucks. So he took me to Starbucks, and he knew that. And, uh, and we're riding by some of these big churches on the highway, big churches. And you know what he did? I heard him pray out loud, Lord, bless the kingdom of God today. Bless all the people in this town that are going to church. And I took that from Sammy Fisher. I thought, you know what? I'm taking that home. Because that means that he's not coveting somebody else's building, somebody else's, you know, big ministry. He's not coveting it. He's just, he's, his heart is pure in that way, and that's a good thing. And I think you ought to just give a big amen to your passion. Amen. Amen. I don't have time. I'm running out of time here. Um, yes, I'm running out of time. So uh, Paul struggled with this. We could do a New Testament search. He's in Romans chapter 7. He admits he struggled with coveting. Coveting is wanting something that somebody else has. So how did you do? On the ten, it's only 10 questions. 
How many got them all right? Did anybody get them all right? All right, there we go. That's really interesting. Most of us, in my estimation, the human race struggles with this. And I think that's interesting that, that we can go through just 10 things that seem to be just so straightforward. They're not complicated. But we struggle because we have a fallen nature. It's like giving a blind man a book, and not a braille book, just a regular book, giving him a book, giving him a book, and he wants to read. But he can't read because he's blind. And we have a fallen nature that has to be redeemed and is being redeemed. And I love what Ruth Graham said about on her tombstone before she died, she had them put on this, her tombstone uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Her tombstone's got some Chinese written on the top because she was a daughter of, a Ch of Chinese missionary parents. And underneath that, she said, construction complete, thanks for your patience. Construction complete. How many are still under construction? Amen. Here's the thing. Why is the law given? The law is given to show us our inconsistencies and our need for a Savior. The law is given, and once we become Christians, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, Jeremiah 31, quoting John and Mary, Jeremiah 31, that the law was written on our hearts. And so we have a new nature. The Holy Spirit helps us to begin to do these things. But the law is primarily given to show us our need, to show us that we are consistently inconsistent, that we need Jesus. How many are grateful that you're not saved by this list, but you're saved by Jesus? So... If you choose to get saved this way, there's a catch. The catch is you have to do all of these things. Because Paul, or James says, the book of James says, James 2.10, I think it says, James says, if you keep all the law but you break one law, you've broken the whole law. Now, I'm going to close with this. Here's my closing today. My dad, who just turned 80, uh, Sammy knows my dad well. I love my dad. My dad's a great preacher and my dad, uh, he loves bowling. He's a, he loves to bowl. And when I was a little boy, he wanted me to become a bowler. And you know how it works. You know, what you want your kids to do, they don't do that. When my, little, my son, my first son came over to the hospital, I dressed him in a little tennis outfit and put a little tennis thing in his thing, and he, he hates tennis. So uh, my dad wanted me to be a bowler. And, but every Father's Day and his birthday, I always go bowling with my dad, spend time with him. I love my dad, so I go bowling with him, and he just creams me. My dad's a great bowler. And if you're a bowler, the ultimate thing in a bowling, to be a bowler, is to get a perfect game, which is 300. What that means is you have to get 12 strikes in a row. You have nine frames, have to get a strike in, strike in every nine frames, and then the last frame has three little boxes there, and you have to get three more strikes. So if your bowler and your goal is to, you know, be the ultimate bowler, you've got to get a perfect game. So my dad, a couple years ago, he was bowling, and he was doing really well. He got five strikes in a row, six strikes in a row, 
seven strikes in a row, nine strikes in a row, and, the, and crowds begin to gather at the bowling alley watching. He's got nine strikes in a row. He rolls the tenth one, ten strikes in a row. And then the eleventh one, he came up, comes up, takes his time, eleven strikes in a row. He has to get one more strike. He's been bowling all his life, and he will be, have a perfect game if he gets one more strike. My dad lines up. We're all, I mean, I wasn't there, but the crowd's gathering, and I heard all about the whole thing many, many times. Anyhow, <laughs> he goes up to the line. He releases the ball. The ball goes down. He's got a hook ball. The ball hooks, hits the head pin, and all the pins went down but one. He missed it by one pin. God is so righteous and he is so holy that if you miss it by one pin with the Ten Commandments, you'll be lost. It's only through the grace of Jesus that he who had no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. It doesn't matter how long I speak in tongues and how long I prophesy and how long I serve Jesus, I can never get over the fact that I am saved by grace alone, through faith, not of myself. Would you lift your hands to the Lord and let the Lord pour out His grace on you as Andy plays? And we're just going to pray a blessing on you. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Lord. It's not about keeping the rules, as I mentioned today and taught today. It's about embracing Jesus in your fault and your failures and letting God's grace be poured out upon you. Lift up your hands right now. Let's receive the mighty grace of God.